Commandos. The Bucks got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. East Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys and girls. Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Nucky spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones, the game winner, got it. Ball game. East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got him. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Say hello to my little friend. What's your name, man? I told you. It doesn't matter what your name is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff. And you still have no talent. It's Sandos and the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Wednesday, Jay Sandos, Mike Gallagher, another edition of Sandos and the Sidekick. And was it as easy as riding a bike? No, because we changed the bicycle, Mike. I thought, again, it's going to be a weekly show. You had to inform me at the end of last show, uh, Wednesday. Well, not a weekly show. That would be a daily show that we did last year. Well, see, see, it's like riding a bike. You changed the bike on me. It's unbelievable. Since when has a bike ever been changed? I thought a bike (sighs) mandatorily had two wheels. With a type of bike, you know, maybe I had a Huffy, and then you went to a ten-speed on me. You want one of those, like the big wheel, the three-wheel big wheel? That's that's kind of a bike. Oh yeah. Or those like motorized big wheels now? You what know, the ones that have the, the two spiders, in front. Is that what they're called? I the think spider? that's right. Yeah. I think that's right. You and me will never be able to afford one of those. No, not even close. No. You're lucky to see one, let alone I be would, in one. I would be able to probably keep that more upright than a regular motorcycle, though. Oh, a motorcycle I'll never, never step foot on. Stephen May, our director of creative yeah. services, has a motorcycle now, and I'm not sure if he's trying to end his life early or what exactly is happening. But. Well, he can't go through one broadcast without bleeding, so I can't imagine him uh, riding a motorcycle to work every single day, which he's done for like one day. That is the crazy part. Days. I mean, he is injured more than anyone else. That, yeah, so a bike probably, especially a motorized one, wouldn't work, well, you would think. And he's coming back roads from Jonesboro. And those back roads are narrow. Yeah, let me tell you, I've driven those blind corners, narrow blind corners. Yeah, I'm not doing tractors and such. Mm -hmm. God forbid the bike Mm -hmm. get caught in the tractor and a shredding accident of some kind. Mm -hmm. That's a thing, right? Shredding accident. It should be. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I thought the first show back was very good. I enjoyed it just because it was a nice way to connect the bridge from 2018-19 to 2019-20. We're going to do more of that on Friday too because. Play on Playa is back with Nasir Player. Oh, Nasir has been begging, by the way. And we will also have Austin Herrick, offensive quality control coach. Amongst other things, I'd like to just learn what exactly that is because I've always looked at those titles and been like, I don't think that that guy actually does anything. But having talked to Austin at practice, he said, I'm in the office from about 6.30 a.m. to 11.30 p.m. So it sounds like they're doing something. 17 hours is a long time to do nothing. I would assume... The, and normally when you see that, it is a player who just finished, and they're trying to get into coaching, and it's As either not, not a opportunity to make full-time yet. There's a lot of uh, kind of figuring out the ropes and all that. The other thing is sometimes you're fresh, so you know the offense, you know terminology, you know, and there's certain things that as a player you may be able to think about what other players are thinking about. Right. And I would say the other thing is just another set of eyes. So during the game – you know, if you have the wide receivers, coach watching wide receivers, offensive line, tight ends, running by all that, there's still there's some there's because I think Austin's going to be in the booth, which is going to throw him off. He's already told me that that he's got to get used to not being on the field. He'll be mm. up top, but I think he has very specific things he's supposed to watch, keep track of, and get back to 
uh, Coach Sanders. Well, it especially has to be nice for the quarterbacks since there was a quarterback battle that was entering camp, and it was Austin's position last year just to have a guy that won a conference title in just the fourth year back of the program and play that exact same position to either just give some advice or what to expect for the young guys and the transfers. Like you said, I mean, with the terminology and the offense and the scheme, just be able to guide them through that and be like, oh, yeah, well, I thought this and this helped me remember or whatever the case may be. Well, and, and, and he wasn't the guy early, and I think that's a that's a good way to look at it too because True. there are a couple of guys still bad. I know Chance Thrasher is going to get the first start. He's going to have the most opportunities, but obviously if the offense or something – is not going well, uh, you know, Coach Sanders is probably going to look for the right quarterback. And so Austin can talk to Chance about things, doing being a starter, what to look for, this, that, and the other. But he can also have conversation with guys that aren't playing game one and, and how to, they need to prepare and keep their mind right. Speaking of the quarterback battle, Randy Sanders addressed the media for the first time this year. That was Monday at his Monday press conference over at William B. Green Jr. Stadium. And, of course, off the top, he did have to address – the quarterback situation. He is an athletic guy. He has some maturity. You know, he, he's not he's not 17, 18 years old. He, he's been around a little bit. He hits what he throws at more than the rest of them did. First thing quarterbacks got to do is be able to hit what he throws at. If you get one open, you got to be able to hit him. It's going to be interesting. He, I, I think he started a game or two at uh, Coastal. It'd be interesting to see how he really responds, how he handles the situation. You never really know until you get one in, in that situation and get him under fire. But... Um, here we go. We'll see. We'll see what happens. And that is Chance Thrasher, who he is discussing, who won the quarterback job. <laughs> Do you have the bite where Chance ran a play or the read from a play from his freshman year? Yes. Great transition by you. Thank he you. learned it uh, pretty quickly. With all that being said, he's still learning. He That'd still drives offense. me nuts some days. But there was some carryover to the system that he ran when he first got to Coastal. You know, they're they're a little different offense now. But uh, a lot of the past concepts, things like that, were the same. Sometimes the progressions, reads are different. Obviously, the, the verbiage behind it, what we call it, what they called it. He had a mistake the other day, and he said, well, I flashed back to uh, the first system I learned in college. And I'm like, damn, that was a long time ago. You know, let's not flash back that far. You know, if you want to flash back to last year, that's one thing. But going back uh, four years, that's, that's a long time. So... There's still a learning curve. When you get out there and you get to playing and you get 21 other guys on the field and you get people in the stands and band playing, he's going to fall back on habits. Everybody does. You always fall back on your habits. So hopefully we've created some good habits. Here's a question. Durability. Because Chance Thrasher did have season-ending injuries twice in his four years at Coastal Carolina. And having already had an injury to Cade Weldon, now having – I don't want to label – Chance Thrasher is fragile, but two season-ending injuries does certainly catch your eye. What's the concern about durability heading in, or is that something you think will even be on the radar of the coaches and Coach Sanders? Generally, in this, you know, we were talking, I guess, Monday, right? Miles Smith has had two season-ending right. injuries very early in the season, and you know he's been the starter every single time. And you know, when he, it's tough to label anybody that because it's one thing if you have continuously nagging injuries and it's you know maybe it's a shoulder for a, a few weeks and it's an ankle then it's a you know lower back pain but it's another thing to have something that ends the season that is a six month eight month one year recovery um some of those things generally are, Can be are on and 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 on the severe side you know right. and you know if you have nagging i think that's the issue you know with miles smith i believe it was a couple knee injuries 
you know, it, it's just hard sometimes to to come back from from those and have and sometimes we have non contact ones. So, you know, I I know he had season ending injury a couple times. I, you know, I actually know Jamie Chadwell, the the head coach at Coast Carolina. Most most people tune in the podcast probably know he's a former ETSU quarterback and uh, several times. I think him and Matt Wilhelm still talk a lot uh, to this day as they were teammates. So, you know, we I've talked to him a little bit, not specifically about chance, and I really didn't want to go that route because when a guy leaves, he wants a fresh start might be uh, amicable, may not be, right? So I, I don't want to put him in a situation where, where he's got to say that. But I'd be curious to see – you know the the extent to what it was and how it happened. I think that's the that's the one thing people point out to. But it's it is something to be said if if you you know are kind of prone to those injuries. You know, can Miles Smith make it a whole season? I think the 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 offensive line would be much better. He's certainly been good enough to win the starting job every year after single year, year yeah. he's been here. So you'd have to think he's he's one of your top linemen that you would like to have out there. And I'm sure Chance would like to. Uh, shed that label if it is a label but he would like to make sure that he gets an opportunity to to go out there and play but uh you know time will tell uh it'll be curious to see you know I don't know again Coastal went through some changes and what they want to do offensively you know they were pass heavy a a few years before uh now they've gone more to the belly option which is what coach Chadwell likes to run what he's familiar which is funny because he was a passing quarterback in college but he likes to build and likes to have the quarterbacks run so is the quarterback taking unnecessary hits you know there's a lot of questions that go into that where they're non-contact injuries that being said he's got a fresh start he's got an opportunity to come in start against Appalachian State one of the better uh, FBS teams in the nation, uh, especially when you look at they're the only team, I believe, that has made the transition from FCS to FBS and have gone to a bowl every single year uh, in their transition. They're 4-0 in bowl games. Yeah, and they've won all of them. They've won all that, four. That yeah. is correct. And you start, and we'll break this down a little bit later when Adam Winton, the play-by-play guy of uh, Appalachia State, calls in, but they return a lot of key players in a lot of key areas, and especially on the offense side of the ball. But they got some key defensive linebackers that can really bring pressure that will test the offensive line of ETSU. And Chance Thrasher does have some escapability. Even Austin Herrick has admitted he's got a little better uh, legs around him and can, and can make things happen with his feet. Which is good because Austin Herrick didn't do too bad at that himself last year. In terms of who he will be throwing to, you know I was on a mission yesterday to find out why Braxton Richburg, or two days ago I should say Braxton Richburg, Anthony Spagnoletti, and Will Huzzy were listed as the starters rather than guys like Isaiah Wilson, Jamal Couch. People that we heard when they were coming in were going to be top-tier weapons and guys that could affect the passing game right away. Randy did not mince words, and he was very upfront and honest and very blunt about why those three won the spots over Couch and Wilson. Played better. Simple as that. Isaiah, I think, is going to be a really, really good player for us. Uh, Again, freshman. Uh, Just the fact that he was in the mix competing speaks volumes about what he was able to do. Couch, he's got to become more consistent. No question about that. Once he becomes more consistent, uh, can have a much bigger impact for us. And that ball's kind of in his court at this stage consistency is an interesting word because it can mean so many things you wonder if that's consistency in terms of the physical things like catching the ball and running hard every time is it effort is it more of a mental thing where he's not quite there does he have to be more consistent mentally but I thought that was an interesting soundbite sounded like more positives on Wilson than on couch who coach Sanders basically says it's on you to step up if you want to see the field I think there's there's a lot. Of, I think it's sort of the same thing with Ari Warts last year. You just assumed he was coming in 
uh, from Georgia State. Had caught a lot of uh, a lot of passes tight end position. Now part of it is already played a different position at ETSU and he did at Georgia State. So I think there is some learning curve there. Couch is not other than maybe terminology in his system, but he's always been sort of an outside receiver. Um, he's certainly big, physical, got some tools. So, and I've, I've been out there at practice. I've seen him make some plays. I've seen him not make some plays. So I think I understand where Coach Sanders is coming from. But there's also sometimes, I think, a false sense of, hey, we got this guy from Mississippi State. Hey, we got this guy from Nebraska. Hey, we got this guy from here. Got to come in and be great. And, and there's still some adjusting no matter what level uh, the guys are coming. For the most part, let's be honest, ETSU – isn't probably getting a guy that that's uh, you know catching eighty balls at the FBS and deciding to trance down for for good measure or you know there's always a reason uh, whether it is playing time or 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 maybe they th- thought they were going to play at a higher level maybe there's been a coaching change and just not you know for Chance Thrasher I think that's probably with the switch in offense you know I would assume that kind of that's the same thing with Weldon there was a changing and uh, head coaches and Diaz he wanted different things out of his quarterback and and so that created some hey I need to go somewhere else to play so I think sometimes us as media let's be honest and fans when you see something like that you expect and put these huge things on some of these players immediate impact with Wilson I think it's interesting because he was the first flip right I I keep talking about that but he was the first guy the morning of that they weren't sure they were going to get he was verbally I'm going to Jacksonville State going to Jacksonville State going to Jacksonville State first thing in the morning I'll walk in Billy Taylor kind of winks at me says we got one next thing I know uh, Wilson comes out of nowhere and signs so they're very high and excited on him He's a freshman, though. Couch has played a couple years of college football. So you, I think Randy's probably putting a lot more on Couch, like you need to do what you need to do. Wilson, it's probably, hey, look, you are a freshman. We want to get you out there as fast as possible. And he we, said he competed for the job. And, and we we got to make sure you're ready, though. Right. Now, now, whatever that means. Final one from Coach Sanders. Not only is Isaiah Wilson a freshman, so are 58 others on this roster, whether it be a true freshman or redshirt freshman. I've said it several times. We're so young. You know, I've never been around a team this young. Whenever you have uh, more freshmen than you do sophomores, juniors, and seniors combined, it, it's it's interesting. We're we got some really talented young guys, but uh, they're young. I, I expect them to be better as the season goes on. I expect them to to grow, mature. There's some of them that will end up helping us this year. There's several of them that will definitely benefit if they can redshirt because they'll be a better player when they're 22 than they are when they're 17 or 18. The ones that can help us win, we'll get them on the field and, and, and go after it this year. I thought it was hyperbole. You know, coaches say things and the numbers don't quite add up sometimes, but it is an absolute fact that more freshmen than sophomores, juniors, and seniors combined exist on this roster. 59 total freshmen out of the 105 players, and so it's not even close, right? Like 46 sophomores, juniors, and seniors combined. And that's where I think Coach Sanders is maybe tempering expectations a bit and making sure that people don't think that things are, you know, rubber's going to hit the road right away. Let's be honest, and he said this yesterday as well, it didn't last year. The team got better and better and better as the year went along. But when you have 59 freshmen, Jay, I think that you have to even a little bit more have a patient mindset. And if that top-level team that came together last year around the playoffs and then once you play Jacksonville State doesn't come, then perhaps that is because you have 59 freshmen out of your 105 players. Yeah, and I think he even tampered a little bit of expectation for the defense because they're going to 
be young and inexperienced in a couple of different places. Right. One obviously nose guard, and I know they've experimented with Mandua Fakwa moving down. And not necessarily Jim, young, but inexperienced. With right, Rowan, right, and Austin Rowan has seen action yep. before, um, and Javon Hurd saw sparingly action as well last year. But the other big thing is you got to fill middle linebacker spot, and this seems like this Appalachian State game was Zach Thomas, who who was one of three quarterbacks in the last twenty years to have thrown for 20 touchdown passes, ran for 10, and caught one, and won a conference championship. He joins Marcus Mariota and Cam Newton as the other two guys to do it. And normally that's a guy you go, okay, Dylan Weigel, that's your guy. Where he goes, you go. Spy him, take him. If he runs, you get him. Now you're looking at, you know, can Jared Folks be the guy there? He was a little bit different player, and they used him differently than they did than Dylan Weigel. And then uh, Donovan Manuel is a new guy that's come in, redshirt freshman. He's impressed. He sort of won that other inside linebacker's job. But he's a redshirt freshman, playing his first college game. Tough to have. So it'd be, I thought he did a good job of tampering, uh, expect, or tamping expectations. Uh, even for the defense a little bit because there are two main key pieces. It's easy to see Madua Fakwa is back. It's easy to see the secondary and Tyree Robinson and all those guys are back. But I, I think there's just a few small pieces there that still needs to come together defensively as well as a lot of question marks on the offense besides the offensive line and the two tailbacks. But if you can't throw and stretch a defensive all and all of a sudden people are loading up the box, how much room can Quay Holmes or Jacob Sailors have to roam? That's what I got. All right, that'll do it. What are we doing next? We're going to go. Uh, we're going KB. Or we're going Adam Witten. What do you want? Well, we'll see if uh, we'll see if we can get Kevin. I think Adam Witten's a very safe bet. He uh, he set something up with us in advance. So Adam Witten, Appalachian State play by play. We'll talk to him on Santos and the Sidekick. Don't forget to download his SoundCloud, iTunes. More of Santos and the Sidekick brought to you by Van Wagner Sports Entertainment on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Over the last seventy years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. Sandos and the sidekick back with you now, joined as we are every Wednesday by the opposing team's play-by-play announcer. I just happen to know this guy for a long time, Adam Witten, a graduate of Appalachian State, worked his way up through the ranks not just as a student employee with the network, but then uh, went on to make his own name at IMG, now IMG Learfield, and has been the voice of Appalachian State last few years. And uh, Adam, first of all, my friend, good to talk to you and good to have ETSU up in Boone again. Man, I can't wait. This is... Uh... It brings you back to, to kind of my days as a student, um, you know, early 2000s, because when I was in school, these two were, were SoCon rivals, and I remember one of, the, one of the first games that I did as a sideline reporter working for David Jackson and the network um, was a trip over to the Mini-Dome in Johnson City for a game when Jerry Moore became the uh, Southern Conference's all-time winning as coach, and fitting that as we resume the rivalry this weekend that Jerry Moore is going to be honored uh, in celebration of his career and what he did for App State this Saturday. Yeah, and I think that will be kind of fitting most of our – and the good news is because we played against each other for so long, 
a lot of our fans obviously uh, excited to not just have football back, but there was a period they weren't in the Southern Conference to get in the Southern Conference. I think having that tie with ETSU as well for Coach Moore and what a great honor for him. And, of course, for several years, App State uh, carried the flag. Um, well, many years, not just several, uh, decades, if you would, uh, carried the flag for the Southern Conference. Of course, now they moved on to FBS. And, you know, you haven't really missed a beat, uh, have the Mountaineers. I think it's impressive that they're the only team to ever make the jump from FCS to FBS to go to a bowl game every single year, and they've won every single one of those bowl games. Yeah. Hey, before before we, we jump into that, I want to just throw out one more bit of nostalgia. This isn't football-related. But man, I still I still tell people, and I'm sure you'll 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 say this as well, that one of the best teams that I ever saw in in the relation of the of the rivalry between App State and ETSU in those days in the Southern Conference were those ETSU basketball teams with uh, Gerald Fields and Timmy Smith and Zakiwa Dude. Those teams still haunt me to these days watching those guys play and just and run rough shot over the Southern Conference. Well, I used to have a running joke with, with uh, uh, your mentor. You mentioned him, David Jackson. Of course, now now we pay him to come in and do our uh, home games on ESPN3. But I used to have a running joke. I don't, I don't know why we play you guys in football because we used to get hammered. And I said, I just, I, I'm just glad we get to play twice in basketball so we get two wins. And uh, so we used to have a running bit about that. But we just put uh, two of those guys in the Hall of Fame uh, this, uh, uh, I guess, a couple of years ago. Gerald and Zaki just went in our Hall of Fame. And, yes, our fans are very nostalgic uh, with you uh, on that as well as, uh, of course, ETSU uh, clearly uh, have won a lot of basketball championships. Last year, co-champions for football, that, that's something new. Hadn't happened uh, as far as mm-hmm. champions in football in a conference since the OVC 1969, even when ETSU – uh, had a good run in 96-97, and one of their marquee wins was actually up in Boone in 1997 that the Buck uh, football fans still hang their hat on. And uh, I know they'd love to see a repeat, but things have changed. And, uh, you know, you've got a new staff. Uh, first of all, uh, mm-hmm. obviously Scott Satterfield, very familiar with your program. You know, he at least had come up through the ranks there, uh, now gone to Louisville. Went a little different direction, right? I don't think Coach uh, Drinkowitz, uh, did, he, did he have any ties to Appalachian State before he got the job? No, no, he didn't. You know, he, he's a guy from uh, from the Midwest part of the country, you know, went to school in Arkansas, grew up in, in Oklahoma. Um, and so, and then, you know, was at Boise for a while, was at Auburn. Um, he was a part of that staff that won the national championship. Um, and, you know, and then was the was an offensive coordinator at NC State. So uh, his, his closest tie to, to Appalachian is just the fact that he was on the staff of a of a team in the state of North Carolina with, with NC state. So no, he, he didn't have um, any ties, but he, he's been on the radar for, for several years. Um, you know, one of the interesting things about the, the hire of coach Drinkwitz was um, there was a story that came out a couple weeks ago in the sports business journal, Michael Smith, who writes for the SBJ is, is an app state alum. And he did kind of uh, he did a story kind of detailing almost documentary style in written form um, of, of the anatomy of a coaching search and, and the process that App State went through in, in replacing Scott Satterfield. And this, this traced back, you know, he was, he was officially hired in December of 18, right before App's bowl game. And this traced back all the way back to, to 2016. Um, App was on the road playing Georgia Southern on a Thursday night in Statesboro. And um, the process really started um, when they made a trip to Atlanta to meet with an executive of a, of a, of a firm that does you know coaching searches and and trying to develop their plan so they've had a plan in place they had a plan in place for over two years um before they they had had to make the, the decision to, to hire a new coach 
um, because they knew, hey, the way that this thing is moving, the way that this trajectory is going, this is going to be a reality for it. So we need to be prepared. But at that point, um, you know, they had already they had started identifying, hey, when it comes around, here are the people that we're going to zero in on. Um, and so from that standpoint, you know, Coach Drinkwitz was certainly one of those people. Um, they were very high on him. They were very interested in him. Um, and because the interest was mutual, um, you know, the, the whole process took, took eight days to, to, to do once Scott Satterfield officially left for, for Louisville. The only reason it took eight days instead of the seven days that they projected it was going to take is because we had an abysmal snowstorm uh, that, that basically had to shut down the process for a day in December. So, um, you know, th- there weren't any ties to the school, um, but certainly he was he was right there at the top of their list in terms of who they were trying to get because of the type of fit that he could be. And from all indications in the, you know, eight plus months that he's been the head coach, even before playing a game, you can already tell this guy was made to be a, a head coach in college football. Um, he, he carries himself that way. He's great with the players, um, you know, even just watching some of the practices early on. This, he's got this thing uh, going the way that he wants it, um, and he's very, very um, fit to, to be a head coach in college football. And so now we're all just really anxious and excited to see how it actually will unfold once we get a game started this weekend. You're listening to Sandus and the Sidekick on the podcast, exclusive coverage of ETSU Athletics. We're talking with play-by-play man Adam Winton for Appalachian State. The game Saturday, 3.30 2 o'clock airtime on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Adam, you know, I don't, I don't feel real bad for Coach Drinkwitz because certainly he returns a ton of firepower on the offense and an all-world quarterback in Zach Thompson. you got Darrington Evans, uh, who's uh, put up gaudy numbers, not just as a tailback but as a kick returner, and a lot of receivers return as well. So, uh, you know, certainly when you're an offensive coordinator and you come in and you've got all that experience and playmakers back, it has to make you happy. Yeah, it's uh, it's a great situation that he's coming into, but but he's very quick to say that yes, there's a lot of guys that have experience and have played a lot of games, a lot of snaps, won a lot, been in, in, in big games and big situations, um, but all of these guys are freshmen as it relates to the system that we're trying to put in. So he did not, he and his staff did not necessarily look at this and say, oh, you know, let's just we we've got all these weapons, this is going to be easy for us to come in and, and do this. Um, they have to get everybody to gel as a brand new unit, as a brand new group uh, with, a, with a new system. And, and yes, the offense had a lot of firepower in previous years, um, but it's, it's a very, it's a different scheme. Um, it's, it's a quicker tempo, probably a little bit more leaning on the pass than, than last year's team when it was more heavy on the run. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, there's still some going to be some some learning to do um, and a lot of education in, in, in a brand new system. Um, I think the, the play calling is probably a, a much different language to speak. Um, and so you've got to learn all those things as you go through the process of preparing for this first game. That being said, when you can do all that learning, knowing that you've got the talent that is already in place, and not just the skill position guys you mentioned, but four of your five starters back on the offensive line, and your fifth starter is a guy who has a lot of starting experience as well. All of that is certainly makes it uh, a lot easier to to try to instill a new system because now you say, oh, look at look at how much we can open this thing up based on the talent we already have. And 
I think especially uh, curious because you returned four of the five offensive linemen, and, and really uh, the fifth offensive lineman I think started a couple of games. So it went like, you know, he's Correct. unfamiliar with starting. So to to have again a little bit of experience there, I'm and and you know there is a big difference in run blocking, pass blocking. But in today's game, Adam, you know sometimes that quick pass is sort of a run game. So I'll be curious to see maybe how the offensive line adjusts uh, to the different types of schemes that maybe Coach Drinkwitz would like to do. Yeah, and, and I think on the offensive line, I think it's, it's really going to show um, why it was so important to keep Sean Clark, the offensive line coach, on staff. You know, there were a couple guys, there were four coaches that, that stayed, two on offense um, and two on defense that stayed from, from Scott Satterfield's staff from a, a year ago. One of them was, was, was Sean Clark. And one of the things that he kind of, um, you know, makes his mark on in terms of tutoring and coaching offensive linemen is versatility. So uh, guys need to be able to play multiple positions. And some of that is because, you know, if a guy goes down, um, you, can, you can shift guys around that have experience. You don't necessarily have to go to a brand-new person at that position. Um, and so the one that you were talking about was, uh, was Cole Garrison. You know, he, he's kind of slated in there to be the starting right tackle. Chandler Greer was the starting tackle a year ago. He did very well. But because of some injuries, you know, Vic Johnson, their, their captain and, and their first-team all-conference left tackle, got hurt late in the year. You know, he, he missed the, the conference championship game. He got hurt in their last regular season game against Troy, um, played sparingly in the bowl game. But Cole Garrison came in there and started at left tackle as somebody who was kind of battling for a right guard position. So he was slated in there, played a lot of snaps at right guard, but it was able to move over and play left tackle as a starter when an injury occurred. So Cole, as you mentioned, he's got a lot of experience and he's basically the one you look at and say, well, he's the only one that wasn't a returning starter. Well, he, he kind of is in a way. So tons of experience on the offensive line. So the other thing that, that they always try to do with the recruiting and the development is you not only recruit versatility on the offensive line, but everything as it relates to this team is all built on speed. Um, every position has speed. Every position has athleticism. They're not always the biggest guys. Um, but they are quick um, and they are active and, and they know how to get out into space. And with this offense and the talent that they're trying to utilize with, at the skill position, uh, this offensive line fits very well with the type of offense they're trying to run. I think Adam just uh, told us what we all know. App State has speed. Uh, that's the one thing I've talked to. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny. I was talking to some of our um, coaching staff. who was just curious about it, just because of rivalries and they're trying to figure out because the fans are all over the coach staff. The coaching staff's like, look, we haven't played since 2003. We're now in different divisions. You know, it's a whole different animal. The, some of these kids were in diapers or barely, you know, maybe in elementary school. And so it's tough to, to live up to the fans and, and mind in your nostalgia of of the game and they said you know just you know when they're world beaters how much you know bigger you know were they and everybody else and I said well to me App State was always built on speed they had usually some mm -hmm. undersized guys across everything from from the uh, offensive line to linebackers to second it always were just it seemed like maybe slightly undersized the position you would see but they could just run laterally vertically however you need them to go and and make plays and to me it's not shocking that that's still uh, sort of the bread and butter and the backbone of what makes App State football really good we're talking Adam Winton the play-by-play -play man got to switch to the defensive side of things and just like the offense you return a lot of Folks on defense, Akeem Davis-Gaither, certainly Jordan Fair, who's a freak of nature. I was reading somewhere where he's like 230 pounds and benched like 450, I think runs a 4.45 and has a 40-inch vertical leap. Uh, and then you return a lot of secondary guys, which forced a lot of turnovers. Yeah. Yeah, he is 
Jordan, Jordan's fair. You know, it's, it's amazing. Uh, one, one of my, what's become one of my favorite times of the year is when we get together for media day on campus. You know, it's usually early August, right when the team reports for camp. Um, and we do, we'll do a, a live show and, and we'll talk to, to a bunch of the players. And that's the first time that they're, in, you know, really in uniform because they're doing pictures and things like that. Um, but it's the first chance that I get really to see these guys after they've gone through the, all of their off-season workouts. And it's amazing to see the physical transformation that they get, these guys have in terms of the work they put in in the weight room. And two guys you mentioned, Akeem Davis-Gaither at linebacker and Jordan Fair, when the first time I saw those guys, it was like, oh, my gosh, it, they are built like absolute tanks. It's unbelievable how, how hard that they've worked. Um, Jordan Fair has, a, has a, as good a work ethic, especially in the weight room, um, as anybody. And, and his leadership and the, what he de- how he devotes himself to his craft and getting stronger and better is a big reason why he got named the captain on the defense this year. So the, those two guys at linebacker, along with Noel Cook, bring back a lot of experience at that position. Um, so there's a ton of speed, leadership, experience. Um, at, on defensive line, you mentioned it. I mean, on, on, on the line of scrimmage, App is a little bit more undersized, and it's no more apparent than, than on, def, on the defensive side of the ball. But that's kind of by design. You know, you'll look at some of the measurables for the guys on the defensive line. You know, you look at someone like a Caleb Sperlin, who is who's a rest, who was a wrestler in high school, a really good one. But he's, he's a small guy, but he's so active, great hands, super quick, aggressive. Um, and he's really good along that defensive line and can make plays. But the thing that you'll notice, and, and Jay, if, as, as you've kind of studied that, I'm sure you've seen this, and you'll see it on Saturday, is when, when plays get out to the perimeter, going sideline to sideline, you'll see, you'll see nose guards, nose tackles, out there on the sideline involved in, in plays, making plays, able to get from trying to pursue the quarterback, trying to disrupt the middle of, of the line, and then sprinting to the sideline to be there on, on a play. It, it's amazing the way that the guys along the defensive line can move, and that's by design, by having those undersized guys but have that kind of speed. The biggest question certainly is, is at corner because they lost two starters at that position, and both of them are doing very well in NFL camps right now and in the preseason in Tejas and Clifton Duck. Um, so two new starters at that position, that, that's probably the spot that everyone's waiting to see. How are we going to be there? But I think that, that we're all pretty confident that the guys that um, we're, we're waiting for that next man up, uh, Shamar Jean Charles and Sean Jolly, most likely, will be the starters of that position. Um, those guys certainly have the talent. They just haven't had the opportunity yet because, you know, for, for two years, Hayes and Duck were, were holding that down the, that position for every snap. Adam, we could talk a long, long time about this. Unfortunately, a little short on time. I look forward to making the trip up to Boone. I know we'll talk before then and see each other on Saturday, but I do appreciate you taking the time here to join us on Sandos and the Sidekick. All right, you got it, my friend. Good to talk to you. All right, that's Adam Winton. When we come back, we're going to talk to last year's starting quarterback who spent some time in Vienna playing overseas. We'll talk to Austin Herring right for this time out to hear a word from Sandos and the Sidekick on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Life is all about perfect pairings. Sweet and salty, naughty and nice, hot and cold? Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash, only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. 
was that? Sandoz in the sidekick, Mike Gallagher back with you in studio. Adam Witten, Appalachian State play-by-play man, is gone. Jay Sandoz had a chance to catch up with him ahead of the ETSU football team going to Boone to take on the Mountaineers, a rivalry renewed. It's been since 2003 since the Bucks and Appalachian State have met in football. And speaking of rivalries, uh, on air, Jay and myself have one. He steps aside now. Um, ETSU football develops a lot of rivalries over this man's four years with the program, and he is back from Austria. He is back on Santos and the Sidekick. Austin Herrick, welcome back. Glad to be back. Thanks for having me. All right, we got lots to talk about. And uh, you're five or so months, I think, since last time that you were on the show. Um, a lot has transpired in your life. Uh, if people remember Austin from last year. Certainly ETSU football fans remember him from leading the Bucks to a conference championship last year. If you listen to the show, you remember him from the route tree, which was basically talking about which way is Austin Heron going to go in life. I don't think Austria ever came up until the very final one, Austin, but the idea behind the premise of the, uh, of the segment was here's some hypothetical situations, funny, good times, but then there was also a serious side of football, and then uh, it kind of evolved into Austin Herrick's life and what was going to happen. So knowing that from last year, we have to, and this is what we've been doing in week one of the show this year, kind of forming a bridge between 2018-19 year and the 2019-20 here. You're back as an offensive quality control coach with ETSU. Uh, I don't think it's been greatly publicized at all. It might even be news to some people. So I'm happy that you are here to kind of fill us in on that. But before we do all that, I want to pick up where we left off because I think it was about eight days before you were scheduled to leave you said you got the playbook like two days before that for the Vienna Vikings, uh, who their Wikipedia page describes them as one of the powerhouses of European football, and I'll be interested to hear your thoughts on that and to see if you did continue the dominance and the powerhouse status that they have over there. But it was about eight days before you left, then you were gone, just kind of like that, and obviously uh, we're not Santos and the sidekick uh, anymore, um, and so we're happy to have you back and just to hear about your Austrian experience, man. Fill us in. What's been you know the last six months of Austin Herring like? Yeah, no, it's been it's been a whirlwind for sure. Um, just kind of like you said, got that call at the last minute. Um, they, they gave me the the playbook uh, through email. I tried to learn it as fast as I could, and then literally uh, a week and a half later, I was starting my first game over there. So I uh, had to be ready to go as soon as my feet touched the ground. So uh, it was an incredible experience. Like you said, the Vikings are a powerhouse of European football. So to, to be a part of that um, was a really, really cool thing. They, uh, they've got a lot of unique things about them. You know, they have um, the only turf practice fields in all of Europe for football. Wow. So that was cool. Um, and, yeah, we had a pretty good year. We finished second in Europe and second in Austria. Uh, unfortunately, we lost to the same team in both championship games. Mm. Um, but, yeah, what a unique experience and something I'll be able to talk about the rest of my life. So is it the Euro Bowl or the Euro? I can't remember what I read. Yeah, so it was weird. We played the European Championship first. Okay. Um, which was the end of June. And then we played the Austrian Championship, which was the end of July. Okay. So, yeah. so it kind of was backwards in the yeah, sense that... Yeah, it was that... flipped. Um, but we played an international schedule. We played... Uh, a team from Spain played a team from Denmark. We were scheduled to play um, another team from um, one of those, uh, you know, Norwegian countries. I think it was Norway or something. Sure. Um, but they 
they couldn't make it down um, because I guess they couldn't handle the cost. So we won that game by forfeit. Interesting. So, so yeah, that's what got us to the championship game for the European championship. Had you ever won a game by forfeit? No, I think life. I'd always wanted one. I, I think every time <laughs> going up uh, to a game on the on the bus, you're thinking, you know, there's a very small chance this team doesn't show up. Right. Um, but that team did not show up, and I was able to take that weekend and go to Rome. So, so. that was uh, that was the semifinals of the European. Yeah. So we're talking about the highest level. Yeah. Of they, European American football. Yeah, they couldn't make it down because of travel expenses. So we'll take that victory any, <laughs> any way we can get it. Any way you can get a dub, I suppose. That's incredible. So before you left, you told us that you figured the level of competition would be um, probably not quite to the level that you had here at ETSU. I think you told a story to us about how uh, somebody had relayed a story to you. One of the players on your team or another team had a work conflict. Mm-hmm. And so like a, a job, like daytime job, you know, he had to go to and he couldn't make it. And so he just wasn't there and he was like one of the best players. And so he obviously didn't go well for that team that day. So was that the atmosphere a little bit more lax? Did you come across things like that? Obviously, when you tell a forfeit story, I imagine you did. Yeah, it definitely was a lot more lax. I mean, that was a, a big adjustment for me to go from, you know, how uh, regimented and how strict things are here in terms of American football um, and just being in the program with Coach Sanders for the past year um, and how disciplined we run things. And over there, you know, it, it wasn't as much of a priority. You know, we wanted to win. Uh, we wanted to prepare. Um, but we only got to see the, the players for three practices a week and then a game. Um, and so you didn't have much time to install a game plan and things like that. And, you know, there were games where guys – could not be there because they took a vacation. <laughs> there were games where uh, you know maybe someone stayed out too late the night before and couldn't make it because they were they had had too good of a time. Wow! Um, and there were games where uh, people just just didn't make it for for various reasons. So um, definitely not something that I was used to um, from you know college days. If you did, if you missed a game, uh, you better be hurt or someone had to have something very serious happen. So. Uh, that was certainly an adjustment. Well, certainly there was, and I'm not going to name the receiver because Coach Sanders did not, but someone on the team last year overslept for mm-hmm. a workout, I believe it was. And then the game that you clinched the Southern Conference Championship, I believe it was down at Mercer, mm-hmm. that player did not make the trip right. to the biggest game of the year. Yeah. Because of one oversleep of a workout, let alone a game. So definitely uh, two different sides of the coin, I would say, uh, right. levels of the extreme. I saw, and I voted for you, that you were up for MVP. Right. Um, yeah, that, that voting's been interesting. I think my mom and the rest of my family <laughs> have just voted uh, nonstop since they found out they could. As they should, as should everyone listening. Um, so, yeah, I think the voting ends at the end of August, so just here in a few days, and then they pick the finalist, and then the final voting ends in September. I think it's it's so late after the season because there's other leagues in Europe going on. So this well. is for the entire European... For the whole continent. There's a chance I could be the <laughs> most valuable MVP player for in the entire continent. Yeah. <laughs> 
that is it's incredible. not as cool as it sounds. I promise. I think it sounds pretty cool. Okay. I mean, do they give you like a big trophy? Is there like a? I don't know. A I don't plaque? Know. I'm, is there a statue erected of you? Is that like, uh, what, what happens? No, no, no. They've got plenty of statues over do there. Do they? Okay. So. You don't think Austin Herrick is going to be next in the Pantheon, huh? No, I, I don't believe so. <laughs> <laughs> so, is there a link that people can still vote at? Do you? I, I imagine if your mom and everyone in your family has been voting, you've probably got it memorized by now. Um, or do you just not? My care? mother does, and I'm sure my grandfather does as well. I think he accidentally voted for himself one time because you can type in a name. Um, so there may be a, a grand, he wants the glory, a grandpa turkey on there somewhere. That's he, what I've called him. He wants uh, the but glory. anyway, uh, yeah, I don't know the link. I haven't voted for myself because I've always thought that was a little weird. Yeah, that's you fair. Know? That's fair. Um, so. I'm sure the Vikings on their Twitter still have it up somewhere. So the Vienna Vikings, it's like I think it's like AFC Vienna Vikings on Twitter. Yeah, something like that, that sounds right. Yeah, yeah. Um, they've got quite the amount of like social media followers and, and everything like that. Like, I, it's relatively comparable to what you'd see for an ETSU football or, or for you know an FCS school. So I was impressed by that and the fact that it seemed like everyone in the administration over there did a really good job of promoting and like make. When you told me what level of football that you thought this was after your experience, I was surprised just because they do a great job of making it look like it is like high end. And in Europe, it is yeah. a high end, legitimate American football. So um, to me, I was like, well, I think everybody there does an exceptional job of, you know, making what may not be, you know, to at least us Americans that watch NFL and, you know, power five football quite to that level uh, it looks like over there though they that is the highest it can get yeah you know they do a great job the vikings have an incredible organization yeah. um i think they've won the most championships in europe of any uh, american football organization so uh they certainly have a great media department with kiki she does a great job um and then the whole administration is very organized um, they get things done when they need to i didn't have any problems in terms of uh, the the contract and what they offered me and sure. I, I talked to some other players in Europe and that wasn't the case for them so um, yeah you know they do a great job and um, yeah it, it was uh, once again it was a great experience you mentioned that you were going to be doing some high school coaching over there that was kind of a combo type role that you were going to be playing and I haven't really asked you about that much off air so was that as prevalent of a role in your journey as you thought it may be yeah, so it's not necessarily high school. Think of it more as like high school age kids. Gotcha. Um, and so uh, the way they they do football over there is really interesting. So it's just at a club level. Um, and really, from my understanding, once you decide you want to play American football, that's the sport you play. You don't play baseball or basketball or you don't go run track on the side. I mean, you're – you're doing football and that's it. And they practice year-round with helmet and shoulder pads. And um, there's actually a youth team I saw that's practicing in, in Salzburg, Austria right now. Wow. So they play much more football than we do um, at younger ages. So um, that's an interesting dynamic. But for me, I was able to help out with the quarterbacks uh, for the U18 team, so the high school-age kids. And um, that was a really cool experience just to work with them. They didn't actually – have their season going on while I was there um, but to take them through drills to, to watch them run through team periods and things like that um, I think that was a really good experience for me as uh, the next journey I venture into with coaching 
knowing the atmosphere change in terms of the uh, level of competition and the intensity around football over there versus over here, were you the same Austin Herrick? Were you the same guy that was up in guys' face, like, let's go, that leader mentality that everyone knows you for here, or did you pump the brakes a little bit? So I think I went over there with that mindset yeah. that, you know, I have to be disciplined, I have to be focused, yeah. I have to get everybody going, and um, very quickly I realized that that's not how things go over there. Sure. So I kind of had to adjust on the fly. I made some good friends over there, and they said, listen, man, this is this is American football. This is a high level for Europe, but don't make football be the main part of your experience here. Go travel um, because it's not the same as it is back home in the States. So um, I definitely took that advice and tried to get more out of the experience than just football. And, um, yeah, I, I ended up really liking it, you know, I miss the discipline and how serious we take football over here. But um, to some extent, I think those guys have a much more, um, you know, enjoyable experience with football. You know, here during games, it's not exactly something where you're saying I'm having fun because you're so, you know, locked in and so focused that fun really isn't how I would describe playing the game. Over there, it's like, you know, you can just go out there and, play around and have fun like you are in the backyard so um that is different but um it it was just one of those things there's so many things that were different they weren't better or worse but just different to round out this portion of the conversation what was your post-game meal so i get over there and the the first uh, after the first game uh, we're turning our uniforms and and leaving the field and they hand me a, a slice of cake um, and then just like a liter of beer. And I was like, all right, cool. I, this didn't happen in Johnson City, but um, I'm not complaining too bad. I can't imagine Randy handing over a, a, a liter, you know, of, uh, of, say, a Golden Light or, you know, whatever. Yeah, the I guess it'd be Diet be. Pepsi <laughs> with some uh, Cool Ranch Doritos. That's right. Um, you talked about travel. Rome is a place you mentioned that you went, and you ran down a pretty significant list to me. Run down this list for our listeners. I mean, it sounds like you really had a chance to stop in – places that some people only dream of going yeah i may leave out a few because i like i said i traveled as much as i could um so obviously vienna which was one of my favorite cities great to live in um i went to prague munich bratislava paris berlin um barcelona rome as we mentioned um trying to think where else uh budapest I mean, a, a where's where, a who's who of big cities in Europe. Yeah, and a lot of the traveling I did on my own, which mm. was a little scary at sure. first, but I'm really glad I did it because um, whenever I start to have a family, I'll be the ultimate dad uh, tour guide. You know, right. I, we'll be we'll be traveling on time and, and doing all that right. So yeah, it, it was a really fun time. You basically traveled every chance you got from what you told me. What was the coolest place you went, if you could name one? Man, that's so tough. Uh, Berlin was awesome because I'm into World War II. I also Mm. saw the Eagle's Nest where Hitler's house was and all of that, so I really enjoyed seeing that. We went to a concentration camp in Dachau um, like the basketball team did. Um, But I would say the most beautiful city I went to was probably Paris, Mm. and I didn't really expect that. I'd heard some bad things about Paris, but you know, you, you see the Eiffel Tower, and you see, you know, just how pretty the city is and how clean they keep it. Um, it was it was just fascinating. My favorite place I went to was Normandy. Uh, wow. I saw where um, D-Day happened and, you know, where we invaded and all of that. And 
um, that was something I'll, I'll never forget for the rest of my life. I really enjoyed that and uh, think about that almost daily. I'm a closet fatty. I love food. Um, so are many people around ETSU Athletics, uh, whether they look at it or not. What's the coolest thing you ate? Uh, okay, I, I ate this thing called Käsekreiner, which is a big German-slash-Austrian uh, dish, and it's basically pork. Um, it's like as big as piece of pork I've ever seen with a big bone in it. Mm. Um, and then you have that with some pomus, which is just fries over there. Um, and they've got little dips you can dip it in. So that was cool. And then obviously Wiener Schnitzel. Um, that was a pretty standard dish over there. And a lot of the stuff that I ordered, I really didn't know what it was. Oh, really? Um, that was an interesting dynamic. You order something, you may not get what you thought you got, but you just got to tough it out and eat it. So um, there's a lot of Turkish food I really like. Uh, kebabs, good. That's a pretty European dish. So, yeah, there's really good food over there. Much higher quality, I would say. Well, welcome back. This is the Wednesday portion of this conversation. Friday, we're going to talk with you about when you came back overseas to the States, what your options were, how you ended up back here as an offensive quality control coach, and just a bit about App State because you're now on the coaching staff and certainly I'm sure can shed a little bit of light on exactly what the Bucks are getting themselves into uh, and what the areas are they can take advantage of against the Mountaineers uh, come Friday. We'll talk to you Friday, okay? All right, sounds good. Austin Herrick is back on Santos and the Sidekick, and we will be right back. It is the top 25, FCS stats top 25. I think I prepped for the coaches poll because I'm stupid. But we've got a top 25 ranking of both when we are back on Santos and the Sidekick, Buccaneer Sports Network. ETSU fans, there is no more entertaining way to spend your Wednesday nights than with the human soundbite reel, Randy Sanders. It's big boy football. The Buccaneer head coach joins Jay Sandoz live at Wild Wing Cafe every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. And if you can't make it to downtown Johnson City to have chicken wings and tater tots with coach, you can listen right here on AM640. All fall long, ETSU head football coach Randy Sanders, Wednesday nights. What time is it anyway? 6 p.m on the Sports Monster. You're welcome to Yeah, yeah, you can. You can do it. Signs. You can't teach a dog new tricks. Almost over. So it took you one full year, 113 shows. In fairness, I had actually written a note down here that said, remember long bed. (laughs) About 40 seconds to intro the FCS stats top 25, and we will do so. You know what I actually did? I actually think I did my notes on the uh, coaches poll. So whatever. Top 25 FCS. Let's just go with It's that. fine. Yeah. It's not going to be that much different. No. There's always, there's always one or two, but it's not really not that much different. No surprise at the top. North Dakota State, Chris Kleiman's gone. He took the reins at Kansas State in the offseason. The five-year defensive coordinator of the Bison, Matt Entz, steps into the head coaching role. NDSU loses 15 starters from the team last season, but they have also won seven 
of the last eight national championships, I don't think, regardless of the number of starters that they lose, anyone's going to write them off. Yeah, I don't even think they're going to get to a semifinal this year. Wow, really? Well, I'm just kidding. Okay. I'm just kidding. James, well, that'd be a bold prediction coming in hot. Coming right. in hot with that. There's going to be a couple of bold predictions, I think, that come out of this top 25 that will do Friday. Friday is, of course, bold prediction day, the last segment of each Friday show. James Madison, number two, the only other team to win an FCS crown in that eight-year span. They had a bit of a down year last year, I think you'd say. Four losses. Three of them were to ranked or FBS teams, to be fair. FCS ranked or FBS teams, to be fair. Uh, still strange to see them, though, with four in the loss column. And, and it was similar like to Southern Conference basketball. That league that traditionally has not been uh, super competitive, the CAA was unbelievably competitive and won a lot of games out of conference and then won a few games in the playoffs to, to bring up. So, so I think, JMU, the, the, the league's right Southern Conference basketball last year, that was the surprise league of FCS. They returned 19 starters and don't look now. But they have West Virginia week one. And mm. could I be predicting in bold predictions mm. that they go into Morgantown and get a W? We will mm. have to wait and see. Eastern Washington, number three, a similar chance as James Madison has week one. Their opponent, a bit more highly rated than West Virginia, though. The University of Washington opens as the number 13 team in the FBS in the AP poll. The Eagles lost 25 seniors, 15 of which earned all-conference honors. Number four, South Dakota State. They've made the quarterfinals or semifinals in each of the last three years. John Stiegelmeyer enters his 22nd year as coach of the Jackrabbits. Seven starters return on each side of the ball, though they do lose quarterback Taryn Christian, who was perhaps the best QB in school history as he leaves the program. And UC Davis rounds out the top five. Pretty average FCS defense, but that was offset by a great offense last year. They ended up losing in the FCS quarterfinals to Eastern Washington. This year, they play what is perhaps the premier non-conference all-FCS matchup against NDSU on the 21st of September. They open with Cal, but they have a couple of freshman All-Americans on the offensive line and maybe the only better sophomore running back in the country, better than Quay Holmes, Alonzo Gilliam. So Gilliam, Holmes, two fantastic sophomore running backs. That's a tough, tough schedule, though, for UC Davis. Your impressions of the top five? Uh, to me, I think you could flip-flop, and they, they did on FCS, San Diego State, uh, Eastern Washington. UC Davis was the, the darlings last year. I think he fell in love with them, too. Probably. Uh, so, uh, I tend to uh, do that. Trey did. But of course, Trey liked everybody. Naturally. And Trey not with us this year. Trey Adams, right, as Pete. far as uh, – <laughs> he's, he's still alive. Oh, okay. Just on the show. That's good. Um, but, uh, you know, UC Davis, it's interesting. They're similar now at a much higher scale than where ETSU kind of – came under the map, right? A lot of people have questions about ETSU. Are they going to be able to maintain as UC Davis? So to me, having them as five coming off just that one year, will be curious to see how they handle sort of being the hunted now instead of hunting down uh, some opponents that, that maybe didn't treat them with the respect they deserve. Number six, much hated Jacksonville State. Now, we don't, do we hate them after that game? Probably not, huh? I don't I don't. Or no. do we? I mean, we should have beat them, no. Uh, and and I, there were three or four opportunities at ETSU. And I, the only thing is Jacksonville State's – they they just they're just a collection of misfit toys that are uh, all FBS transfers are really playing for themselves. You can tell they're dysfunctional. I, I think if ETSU again wouldn't have been in their first playoff, it would have been like two or three years consecutive in the playoffs. I think ETSU would have walked away with the win. They play Eastern Washington on September 14th, another key non-conference contest across the FCS. 
And Hero Sports called this Jacksonville State team their best since 2015. So they may be misfit toys, but some of the experts love them this year. That was the year that they went to the national title game, Jacksonville State, before running into Carson Wentz and NDSU. Their four best pass catchers, rushers, and a couple of all-conference linemen are back this year. So it is going they, to be a much more experienced team. They have struggled in the playoffs, and they've certainly struggled in cold-weather playoff games. They didn't even want to be there against Maine last year. Against the number seven team yeah. in this poll, as a matter of fact, who absolutely thrashed, I think, what was it, 35, 40 points. I mean, it wasn't even close to a contest. And as you said, cold weather, December, Maine, not a lot of fun. And Jacksonville State clearly showed that. Their offense, that being Maine's, put up just 26.5 points per game last year, but they ended up joining NDSU, South Dakota State, and Eastern Washington in the FCS Final Four. 16 of their 22 defensive players on the playoff too deep last year returned. 166 career starts in total on the defensive side of the ball. Number eight, Wofford quarterback Joe Newman, dual threat as he is. He's back also, and I think this will be the big thing for those across the Southern Conference that have to play Wofford. All five offensive linemen are back, so that's going to be difficult, especially considering that triple option attack that they bring. You know, it's interesting because I still want to try to air the ball out a little bit, and I think that's going to be curious to see, you know, how are they going to – it was almost like last year just forcing the ball in the air when they didn't need to just to say, like, we're going to try to throw it instead of just running it down people's throats. We'll see how that kind of goes. Uh, It's interesting to see kind of Wofford and Kennesaw State uh, near each other in a poll. Uh, and on the stats, FCS at, at 9 and 10, just for simple reason, they have played some meaningful games playing a same-type system. Wofford has walked away uh, with a couple defeats, really feeling like uh, they should, and it would be curious to see if anybody in the Big South is ever going to give Kennesaw State uh, a, a, really a, a, a match for the conference championship for the Terriers. Year two, head coach Josh Conklin, we'll see. He really wants to throw the ball, really wants to do some things. He wants to change the offense up. He doesn't mind running it. He just wants just a little more balance. So when they get in the playoffs, somebody that that might have a bigger uh, defensive front, might have some linebackers, at least can balance the uh, attack out. Here's what I'll say. I'm impressed by the fact that you went from Mike Ears to Josh Conklin and seemingly didn't miss a beat. Nine and four, six and two in the league. Absolutely. And, And to be honest with you, there was a couple times I'm thinking you you just have to do what Mike Ayers did for until a couple years down the road because he left you a pretty good roadmap and right. even the game against ETSU I honestly thought Conklin kept the Bucks in it longer than probably ETSU should have been in because he was just sort of uh, bent on throwing the football and you're like man if you just run it a few more times and shorten the game you get out of here this but kept turning it over so I I'll be curious to see if Conklin is a a they progressed in the passing game uh, more than what they did the previous year, or if there's a thought of, hey, maybe we'll just keep running this thing and stick with what works. In the backfield, aside from Newman, it will be interesting to see who gets the carries. Andre Stoddard and Lennox McAfee, their top two rushers from uh, last Thank year. goodness. The Go whole on. league. The whole league. Thank goodness. Great careers. Goodbye. Glad we don't see you anymore. Weber State, number nine in the coaches' poll. They have some quality back from last year's team on defense, but not quantity. Just four returning starters, one preseason All-American, though, and two more All-Big Sky selections. So the four that are back are quite impressive. And they're one of the few teams that is defensive-oriented in that league. That league is a high-scoring, 40-, 50-point league, and they're, they're the one team 
that when you see their scores, it is a 21-17, it's a 20-13. So it's interesting to see how successful they've been in that league. Well, and that'll be interesting to see this year if the defense doesn't have as much quality on that side of the ball. They were just 60th in scoring offense across FCS last year of 126 teams, and that offense does have eight returners back. Kennesaw State, you mentioned, uh, and of course, I'm a big fan of that program. And if you haven't listened to the show before, you know that is complete sarcasm. Big South winners last year. Uh, they lost last year to South Dakota State in the national quarterfinals. Their QB that scored 39 touchdowns, that being Chandler Brooks, is gone. But there are eight returners on defense, and that's a side that already averaged giving up just 15 points per game last year. Yeah, and anytime you lose a hurler, and again, you, you threw out some numbers, but you, you lose a guy like that. I think we saw Sanford already trying to figure out. And granted, Hodges set the all-time record, so it's still slightly different. But in this, this same token, you lose a guy like that, quality of production, it's got to be the number one question. It is free tissue, and he didn't – and Austin Herrick didn't have gaudy numbers as that did. So I think it's going to be how quickly is the new signal caller going to be able to adapt. Number 11, Nichols. Number 12, Towson. Number 13, Illinois State. Number 14, Colgate. We talked a lot about them last year. They ended up leading the nation in total defense, gave up just nine points per game. They got past James Madison in the round of 16 in the playoffs, but NDSU awaited them and ultimately ended their season, shut them out 35 to nothing. 25 seniors, both the offensive and defensive league players of the year, and 10 all-conference players gone, but... They also have eight all-conference players back, which should tell you all you really need to know about how great they were last year, all those all-conference awards. And, and all that uh, amounted to uh, taking a drubbing uh, last weekend uh, to Villanova, who shocked a lot of people. Now, Villanova has a, a transfer quarterback um, that uh, transferred from Campbell, actually transferred from the Big South, going fifth year, and was pretty good at Campbell. There are a lot of people thinking maybe – uh, he had a shot to maybe go FBS, instead goes to Villanova and lit up uh, Colgate's defense. So that was a little shocking. Colgate's another one that I think kind of falls in that sort of UC Davis mix. You know, Mike, they, they're not traditionally that great. Um, they're okay in that league, but they're not been – and last year was dominant. I mean, they you know they gave Army – almost broke Army's, uh, I think, eighth long longest home winning streak. Um and so it was, I think, a touchdown away in that contest until I think Army got one late with, like, literally 13 seconds to go uh, to make it a two-score game. But Colgate was one of those teams that now they're being hunted. People are really preparing for them, just like UC Davis. How are they going to respond? The other thing is, again, Villanova has had very much success in football before. The Bucks know that. They've played them in the playoffs here uh, inside the mini-dome before. So uh, curious to see that that score – ended up being 34-14. I don't know if that is just sort of lightning in a bottle, Villanova, new QB, getting things going, or Colgate maybe had a, a year that they're not going to be able to top from a year ago. Yeah, you mentioned the two scores now, 34-14, Villanova beat Colgate and Youngstown State, 45. Sanford with really 15 garbage time points was the only reason they got to 22. 45-22 was the final in that game. Number 15, Montana State. Number 16, Indiana State. Then number 17, Furman. They were middling in both points scored and points allowed across the FCS last year, but they have eight offensive starters back. One question still up in the air, though, the quarterback position that saw three players play in at least four games last year, including the departed Harrison Roberts. From what I've seen, Hamp Sisson, Darren Granger, and Jack Harden were the ones battling it out for that top spot. We'll see this coming weekend who Furman goes with in the quarterback and, spot. And they were really hoping Gardner would be the guy. That's the guy they thought last year was – or uh, Grant, 
Granger. Granger, sorry. Granger would be the guy they really thought he was the one that was going to step up and, and sort of take the reins. He did not. He kept sort of falling back behind Roberts. And so uh, he's the most dynamic, I, I think, when you just look at pure athleticism, can run, can throw. What Furman wants to do is a little three-back, but they love to throw the football. You know, they like to go three-back misdirection, step back, and, and you know, 50, 60-yard down-the-field bombs. And each issue certainly saw that a few years ago uh, down in Greenville, South Carolina. So that's the biggest question mark. They had a lot of weird things go against them. And so I think that's why most people are high on Furman. Plus, they've got about everybody back. Southeast Missouri State, number 18. North Carolina A&T, number 19. A non-playoff team last year only because – they won their league and went to the Air Force Reserve Celebration Bowl, but they opened their year with a win over Jacksonville State and another over East Carolina. Certainly could have been a problem in the playoffs if they hadn't won their league last year, and that could have been a problem for those that were on the bubble like ETSU because that would have taken away an at-large spot. I, I think every year, and if you're an ETSU fan, I think we talked about it on the podcast, you needed to pull for Florida A&M to lose and North Carolina A&T to win because it's the weird situation where if you finish number two in that league – and you're good enough, you can go to the playoffs. But if you win the league, you have to go to the Heritage Bowl. And I, I just, and I don't want to take anything away from the Heritage Bowl. They've been doing it for a long time, and uh, you know everything it represents for the HBCUs and everything. I get that. I think for the sanctity of the playoffs, I think it's time for the Ivy League to to crank it up and and you know let a couple of their teams in. And I think it's it's time for the HBCUs if they have a conference champion represent um, their league. They could still have a Heritage Bowl with number two teams or if there's a co-champ. or so. I think they could do it. I think it might not be good for some of the other leagues that have been, uh, you know, ETSU, if you think about it, if two or three extra teams get in, does ETSU get in that spot? Not sure. Um, but that's the way it is, I think, for FCS to take that next step. I, I To make it a little more, I would love to see uh, the HBCU Conference champion. That's why Hampton actually left so that they could go to the playoffs, go to the Big South. And, that, and then I think, you know, getting the Ivy League. I mean, they only play 10 games, and they're, they're not allowed to – it's the only championship they're not allowed to participate in, and I have no idea why. They play once a week. It's not like, you know, basketball and baseball, they get a couple games in a week. They're traveling on the road. I mean, it's once a week. I mean, you would think they, they would figure out a way to get that done. Northern Iowa, number 20. Elon, number 21. Sam Houston State, number 22. Delaware, number 23. And speaking of the Ivy League, Princeton, as you mentioned, another team that wasn't in the playoffs because the Ivy League still hasn't hopped on board with that. But they were the only other undefeated team in FCS aside from NDSU last year. So certainly you look at Princeton and the case to be made for the Ivy League. Joining the playoffs last year was a prime example. They won every game aside from Harvard, Dartmouth, and Yale by at least four touchdowns. They finished first in scoring offense in the FCS fourth in scoring defense. They also have the number seven recruiting class in the country, according to Hero Sports, coming into this year. Three of their top four tacklers are gone. Their QB is gone as well, who is the league player of the year and the leading rusher as well for the team. But Princeton certainly with who they're bringing in and the recruiting class and the stats that they put up last year and the blowouts that they threw on the board could be another formidable team, but won't have to worry about them being in the playoffs. And a couple Ivy League teams had top 25 recruiting classes. I mean, they do a phenomenal job of getting quality athletes, not just students, but quality athletes there, which, again, is another shame that they're uh, not able to participate in the playoffs. There's also five teams um, on the FCS, SOCON schools that receive votes, number 26, if you will, 
the team uh, just outside that was ETSU Stats FCS, and and they don't do the poll in between that weird week one. So uh, there'll be a, a monumental shift next week after uh, some teams will have two games in, and again a lot of teams just getting teams on the board. And this is all a what do we think they're going to do scenario. So uh, I think there'll be for the next few weeks a top twenty five. We're going to have to just keep our eye on with a, a ton of movement until it sort of settles out. So, again, in order, NDSU, JMU, Eastern Washington, South Dakota State, UC Davis, Jacksonville State, Maine, Wofford, Weber State, Kennesaw State, Nichols, Towson, Illinois State, Colgate, Montana State, Indiana State, Furman, Southeast Missouri State, North Carolina A&T, Northern Iowa, Elon, Sam Houston State, Delaware, Princeton, the one team we did not get to, Central Arkansas, rounds out the top 25 for the coaches poll, and I'll be less stupid next time, and since we like to give the FCS stats poll some love, I will actually prepare for that instead of the coaches poll. That's okay. It still gave us uh, an extra look, and honestly, there was one team that was different, and there were, right. you know, and I think the most that I was looking down there, there was a two-spot difference was the greatest difference. Okay, so, so still the top twenty-five was still the top idea, twenty-five. Right. Exactly. Yeah, still, and still got to talk about a lot of the teams. So now let me get this straight. We're back Friday. We are back Friday. Okay, we've got play two on days playa. from now. Play on player. That's sincere player. Offensive quality control guru. Austin Herrick. Austin Herrick. Bold predictions. Oh, the yearly bold predictions. What are we going to do in the first segment? Oh, we, well, we could talk to are, like. Are, are we are we not going to talk about Appalachian State at all? I mean, I suppose we can. We could talk to a Matt Wilsham or say a Robert Harper about the yeah, game as well. Who's going to be on the crew? We'll see. Sure. We'll know. All right, Santa Psychic, don't forget, we are back. You can download us on SoundCloud, iTunes. You can subscribe to the RSS feed. That way you get an update anytime it's uploaded. Plus, we'll have it on Twitter for you as well. Santos and the Sidekick back Friday. I got it. See ya.